Ephesians chapter two. Once you're dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, how's that for an opening <laughs> line? You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the evil one, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. A lot of scholars think that verse right there is actually referring to either Nero. It could be the devil. It could be the emperor. It could be also Diana and Artemis, which were, uh, which was part of the pantheon of gods at the time. So the commander of the powers in the unseen world, remember the, the letter to Ephesians is written to a specific group of people with a specific message, but also with eternal principles. Okay. We're not even through verse two yet. The commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work and the hearts of those who just refuse to obey God. All of us used to live in that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we are subject to God's anger and wrath, just like everyone else. But, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Jesus from the dead. And it is only by God's grace and mercy that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Jesus and seated us with him in the, in the heavenly realms because we're united, we're unified, we're made one with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and mercy and kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you, us, me, you, us by his grace when you believed or when you, when you made faith in, when you faithed in relationship with Jesus, when you believed and you can't take credit for this. It's a gift. It's a gift from the hand of God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we've just done so that none of us can brag or boast about it or be arrogant for we are God's masterpiece, his living artifact. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago to do. Don't forget that you Gentiles, that's you, that's me, us, you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews. That's not very nice. Who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not at all their hearts. That's not very nice. In those days, you were living apart from Jesus. You were excluded from citizenship, from covenant among the people of Israel. And you did not know the covenant promises God had made out to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now, there it is again. But now you have been united, unified, made one with Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood and sacrifice of the Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace, not war, not politics, not cultural norms, but peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that did separate us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and its regulations. And he made peace between Jews and Gentiles. That's us by creating in himself one new human, one new humanity, one new people from the two groups. And so together as one body, Jesus reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross and our hostility towards each other was put to death once and for all. And he brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles, us, you and me, who were once far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the father through the same Holy Spirit because what Jesus has done for us, amazing, hallelujah, may it be so. 
Amen. Am I right? Am I right? So I have a friend who left ministry to sell windows. Now, what on earth? Why would anyone do this? Am I right? I mean, when you're a kid, you don't typically dream of doing that as like your calling, right? You think about being like a fireman, a police officer, a pro athlete, an artist, a singer, a pop star, a teacher, whatever it is. But I don't ever recall hearing my kids or any kid that I've ever heard or seen say, you know what? I just can't wait to sell windows, double pane, high efficiency, energy saving windows to residential homes. I can't wait to grow up and get to do this. So I asked him, Mike, my friend's name, what has happened? Like who hurt you? What's the motivation here? And his response via email has always stuck with me. Here's what he said. Yeah, Jimmy, it's not the windows, it's the people. People who would never come through the, 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 the church door, but still need to have an experience of the divine, whether they know it or not, through loving conversation while picking out residential windows. I love the interaction and where these conversations often go. It's good work to do, but windows is not my primary calling, Jimmy. Jesus is. Windows is not my primary calling. Jesus is amazing. Hallelujah. May it be so. Amen. My buddy's identity was locked and loaded. I mean that in the most pacifist, peace-oriented way. Locked in to Jesus. Not necessarily like a paid vocation. The selling of windows, residential windows, double pane, high efficiency, whatever, is, is, is a distant second to the good work that he knows in his heart Christ Jesus has created for him to do. Because our first calling as humans is not to our bank accounts. It's just not. Despite what we might hear or experience or read or doom scroll in culture, our first calling as humans who follow Jesus is to the love of God and to the love of others. I'm gonna repeat that again. Our first calling rarely is rarely if ever tied to our bank account or our positions of power. It's called to loving God and loving others and being a good and faithful presence in the world that needs it, that, that needs to see the marker, the goodness of the divine. And this is exactly the, the, the thrust, the focus, the reason for writing of the book of Ephesians and certainly chapter two, answering the question like, what does it mean to live and love well as a human being, a new humanity that follows Jesus. So my friends, brothers and sisters, welcome to the end of our series, part four of our series, Being Whole, where we wrap up uh, how we follow Jesus and emulate Jesus with our whole beings. Okay, so Ephesians chapter two, which is what we just read. Uh, this is a letter that's typically attributed to Paul, but like I said before, is part of a Christian tradition of this like burgeoning new way. These people of the way that are following this like messianic Jewish rabbi that is teaching a whole new way of how to understand God and a whole new way of what it means to be human. And so whether written by Paul or written by the early church, it really doesn't make a difference to me. This is the tradition of people who are saying, wait a minute, what if we've had this humanity thing wrong? What if being human is not just like safe passage means to an end, the accumulation of wealth or the story of us being heroes of our own story, just up and to the right, up and to the right, maybe following Jesus, being our whole selves, divinely loved and created is a bit more, is a bit deeper and has a way better effect on the world than just that. 
Now, a couple things about Ephesus. Now, again, the book of Ephesians is written to the church, these gathered folk, a a smaller population of former Jewish converts that have converted to this way of Jesus, but also a ton of Gentiles who are outside sort of the dwelling place, the, the, the logos of Jerusalem where God dwells. And they're off in a foreign uh, city that is um, worshiping, Uh, the gods of the time. So in particular, two things, worshiping uh, the emperors and worshiping Diana or Artemis. Now Diana and Artemis, it's a fascinating historical research. Diana is really the, the Romanified version of Artemis. So Artemis is a Greek tradition. It's a, it's a lady God, part of the pantheon of gods that was like the God of like childbirth and, and uh, wild nature and chastity and purity, all of the things that represented almost innocent, But then as you get to the Roman translation of Diana, Diana is a little bit more of a warring God still represents all of those things, but is more of like, well, this is the way it is or else, which was sort of the hallmark of uh, Roman culture at the time. You know, the emperors found themselves to be gods. One emperor uh, came on the scene saying, I am the divine light, the son of God sent to the earth to show you the way and the truth and the life. And the earliest church said, no, you've got your dude wrong. It's not your dude. It's ours. It's not the way of war and politics and power and conquer and killing. It's actually the way of peace of other centeredness of laying down arms and serving the world, which is the, the thumbprint of God anyway. So Artemis and Diana and Ephesus, The Roman equivalent of Artemis and Diana was like queen ruler, the one who was in charge, just a little more violent than the others. The goddess of wild animals, hunting, provision, vegetation, chastity, and childbirth. The temple in Ephesus uh, of Artemis was huge. It was actually at the time, one of the the known wonders of the world. Uh, And then also in Ephesus was the Agora. There were two marketplaces. One was just like a buy and sell a trade Agora, which means marketplace. And then a commercial Agora as well, that some scholars would say had over 800 stalls that the marketplace was over 130 meters long by 80 to 100 uh, meters wide. So this was a huge, it was like a mall. It was like a mall at the time. And so think about the significance of this writing of Paul's letter to the Ephesian church in the face of so much opulence, in the face of a, uh, of a multitude of gods from which you can choose. And also in the face of um, the, the emperors who considered themselves as the primary God, the sons of God, the ones who rule. And so the temple to Diana was also a fixture uh, alongside the Agora. This was a symbol of who was in power. You knew it. You did not need to look far. You knew who was in power, who was at the top. And this was funded by the Ephesians of the day as a display of their cosmology, of their civilization, of their advancement and wealth. Look at what we can build. Look at the, the, the idols that we can build. Look at the temple that we can build to the one that we serve and that gives us our wealth and opulence. And for those that didn't worship, look at the wrath that, that Diana rains down on those uh, who don't follow who don't bow down and her wrath is recorded outside of the Bible in a number of ancient Roman records that the, the wrath of Diana is, is vengeful, is, is severe for those that are not contrite where we heard this before. Now with that, um, 
we also have the Roman imperial cult. Now, at the time of the writing of, of Ephesians, most likely the, the Roman emperor was Nero. Any eyebrows raising for that one? Anybody remember who Nero was? Nero was uh, the famed in some scholarly records, a persecutor of the church. This was a person who regularly crucified, burned at the stake and tortured Christians and anybody who actually gave him, um, you know, kind of a sideways glance. He, he, he killed his mother and his brother because of his thirst for power and eventually killed himself because he wanted Roman rule to die with himself. Now, after um, Nero was Vespasian or Caligula, who is like the quintessential version of like sex and sexuality and opulence, like take, eat, drink, do all that you need to do because you have one life, make the best out of it. After that is his brother Titus. And then after that is the Roman <coughs> emperor Domitian, which is, was the, the emperor at the time of the writing of uh, Revelation. So John's revelation to the church. And Domitian was, a, was, um, was like, Nero, but a little bit more organized. So Domitian uh, at the um, Ephesus was on like a bay. It was a major uh, Mediterranean um, uh, trade route. So boats uh, and people came through. It was like a tourist location. And Domitian, some scholars would say, built like a a huge monument to himself, a bust of himself uh, with a clenched fist and holding a scroll that only one is able to open the scroll. Only one is able to see the words of life. And how dare you, or best of luck to you if you push against Domitian. This is the context of the writing of Ephesians. Romans, the emperors by extension, ruled over like everything, over trade and agora, over the marketplace, over (laughs) places of worship. And in order to trade and buy and sell, you had to worship or at least pay homage in the agora uh, and in the temple construct to the emperor or the gods in charge uh, of, of Greece and Rome. And thus Romans were sovereign citizens. Have you heard this before? Sovereign citizens who had special rights and privileges by virtue of their birth in Rome, special rights and privileges in the ancient world, unlike anyone else. They were the ones who bore the divine image. They were crafted, made, formed by the divine and for the divine. And they could come and go buy and sell as they please. Others were not so lucky. Imagine this, my friends, as an ancient Jew. You're told there's only one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. There's only one God. You shall have no other gods before me. Imagine this as an ancient follower of the Jesus way, where you believe in the incarnation of the Christ, that Messiah is here, the deliverer, the redeemer, and his way is peace. And yet everything in your culture in Ephesus is teaching you the exact opposite. Where does one go? How does one understand what it means to be fully human and fully human that is doing good in the world, that is offering peace in a different way? How does one survive in such a divisive context while being surrounded by so much that is other circumstances that just reinforce us and them, Greek and Roman, pagan and Christian, Jew and Gentile? How can one be fully themselves, fully human and yet? Paul writes about this new vision and version of humanity of like what it actually means to be part of this new way that follows and emulates that embodies the risen Jesus, this new vision and version of humanity that is good. That's not separate or divided or infighting or warring against itself. And that will do good forever. 
that will do good forever, even in the, in the face of personalities and power structures that are adverse to it. Now here's the shift. There's a new way with, with humans and Jesus that in Jesus, uh, Ephesians two, verse 10, we are God's what? Handiwork. We are God's new creation. We are God's handiwork, loved creation, artifact, evidence. The Greek says created in Christ Jesus, the anointed, the, the Messiah one to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do beforehand to be our way of life is actually the way the Greek is rendered prepared beforehand to be our way of life. From when you wake up in the morning to when you go to bed at night, what is it that we are meant to do? Good work, not as a means of salvation that like you just hit your checklist and God's like, okay, we'll let this one in, but next tomorrow it's different. No, that this was created before the inception of the created order. God knew us, formed us, had us in mind and had us in mind in tandem with the created order of the cosmos, the good work created beforehand to be our way of life for us to do. So what is our human identity? How are we meant to understand ourselves? What is the message that Paul or the church tradition of the early church is writing to the city in Ephesus, these new believers? What is our and their human identity? How are we meant to understand ourselves? Here it is. Dearly loved, created in Jesus, to do good, to embrace goodness as a way of life. And who's excluded? No one. Isn't that so good? Isn't that so good? Let me read that again. What is the message that Paul or the tradition of the church in this letter to the, the church in Ephesus that has all of these things pounding in on them of a certain way of being that like just folds to political uh, power or to the power of the gods that are or are not? What does Paul write to them that you are as a human being, your identity is dearly loved, created in Jesus to do good, to embrace goodness as a way of life and who is excluded, who is out, no one. Who is in, everyone, everyone was created to do the good work that Jesus had planned as a way of life from the inception of creation. Brothers and sisters, amazing, hallelujah. May it be so and amen, am I right? Amazing. Hallelujah. May it be so. Amen. No longer are we just fooled into the myth that we're just humans doing. You are the accumulation of the stuff that you can provide for the earth. And if you have no value, if you can't contribute, you are of no value. No, this is the biblical narrative in the way of Jesus that pushes against this and says, you're more than just a human doing. You are a human being. You're a human being deeply loved and seen and valued by the divine, not just feeling trapped in your lot in life or feeling like you got a sucky hand at the, the card table of life, but rather we are human beings reflecting the love of God in our love for others, regardless of our differences and how through peace and other centeredness. This is the simple mission of the church, my friends. It's the simple way of Jesus, peace and other centeredness, peace and other centeredness, love God and love others, peace and other centeredness. Ephesians 2, 14 and 15, human being versus human doing for he himself is our peace. 
who has made the two groups representative Jews and Gentiles, insiders and outsiders, uh, slaves, barbarians free. He has made, he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed, done away with, removed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. What separates us by setting aside in his own flesh, the body of Christ himself, his whole self, setting aside the law with its commands and regulations, the religion that keeps us divided and apart, setting aside the law with its commands and regulations. And his purpose was to create was to recreate, make, rebirth, restore in himself one new humanity out of the two. Thus making, there it is again, what's the word? Peace, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile, to reconcile both to God through the cross, a Roman torture device that was meant to kill and instead God breathes life. Even in torture and death and violence, God brings, breathes life through the cross by which he put to death, ending, abolishing, putting aside, killing our hostility towards each other. In other words, to be human is to be peace, loving, good humans made and motivated by the image and goodness of God, whether we're leading a multi-million dollar company or we're selling windows. To be human is to be peace, loving, good, fully embodied, made and motivated by the image and goodness of God, whether we're leading a massive company or selling a window in a showroom in Toronto. To be human made in the image of God is to embrace peace and to do good with this one life that we have here on planet earth. Amazing. Hallelujah. May it be so. Amen. Can you say that with me? Amazing. Hallelujah. May it be so. Amen. This is a picture of our uh, RV. Stay with me. Stay with me. This is a 1977 Rockwood uh, King RV. It is as wonderful as it looks. Now, this has been like our Sabbath keeper, our family Sabbath keeper for, for a number of years now. So my wife and I, uh, we share this with uh, her, her brother and sister-in-law. We keep it up to date. You discover all these new things that it needs to just keep its lifeblood afoot. And it doesn't always work well. Sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. And so I actually just got back from a few days of just Heidi and I taking Sabbath, going to, to Rondo campground on Lake Erie and just chilling out. We ate all the things that the Lord gave for us to eat. We drank all the things that the Lord gave for us to drink. We swam in all the water that the Lord provided all the while coming back to this absolute beauty at night to rest and to reflect and to enjoy. Now, this is where the story gets really sucky because <laughs> on the way home for the first time, it broke down three times. We actually had to shorten our vacation because of some other work conflicts. And so instead of a week together, we actually only got like four days. And on the fourth day, driving home with this stupid thing that we love very much, <laughs> it broke down three times. The third time it broke down in this little city in Ontario called Ridgetown in the major intersection in its only major intersection. So there I am turning right into this intersection being like, like, please, God, if you're real, let us get through. If you've ever driven a vehicle pre-1980, you know that when the power shuts down, everything shuts down. So power steering is a thing, is a myth, is a thing of the past. And so it just shut down and I kind of got through the intersection and it just died. It died in front of a senior center in the major intersection of Ridgetown, Ontario. I'm sure they'd never seen this before uh, ever. And like, who would you envision when you see this thing getting out of the driver's side? probably somebody maybe a little bit older and not like a five foot seven tattooed guy who's like freshly burnt from three days uh, at, at Rondo camp. 
if ever there were a context for like town folk not to serve city folk, this was it. This was it. And yet, my friends, within five minutes, well, first of all, there was this old uh, lovely guy named Jerry who came outside of the senior center and said, are you broke down? Looks that way. Yep. Oh, my name's Jerry. Hi, Jerry. We're broke down. Maybe I can give you a push. I don't think you can, Jerry. <laughs> I don't think it's going to work. But in the next five minutes, there were literally 20 to 30 people that just surrounded our RV. The good work. This is good human work. Good humans that benef benefited, well, maybe it benefited them a little bit because I was probably clogging up their only artery in the city. But good humans who came out of their regular day lives to help, to help somebody that they did not know, a vehicle that they were not familiar with, people that they'd never met before, but the goodness in their hearts to be like, this is somebody who needs our help. And so good old Jerry and his crew helped to tow us off the main street, uh, get our RV back uh, started. And then the last thing he said, which I'll never forget, he looked at me, he's like, my name's Jerry. I'm like, yeah, you mentioned that four or five times. It was really nice to meet you again. You know, he's like, if you're sticking around, uh, we just started a card game in the senior center and put a fresh pot of coffee on if you want to stick around for a few hours and just join us. And I was like, that sounds terrible. But next time, next time. You see, this is a beautiful example of a very rushed me just wanting to get home and getting fixated on the problems that were and not immediately seeing the goodness of humanity that was right in front of me. This is a concrete example of good humans, good human behavior. How can we help? How can we be people who are known as helpers? Full stop. How are you and I known in the world as people who do not push against or separate or divide, but lean in and help when it's needed? This I would contend is part of the good work created long ago for us to do in Christ Jesus. So my friends, uh, whether here and in person or watching online, what is the good work that God has set out for you to do? What is your good work set aside for you to do? Is there something, someone, somewhere this week that needs to have a good experience with you as a good human. Maybe it's around your dinner table. Likely that's where it starts. That's your first, your highest and holiest calling. Your relationships, your friendships, your family, the people that sit around your dinner table with your phone away with family and friends that need to experience the fully present and good human you. Maybe it's on the roadside in front of a senior center with somebody who's broken down, someone who needs you, the good human you. Maybe it's at your workplace where you are thriving and you're the picture of the embodiment of Jesus. And the word for you is to keep going. Maybe it's at your workplace around your board room table with people who need to see you as the boss, as the leader, the good human you. Or maybe it's in a place where you volunteer and you serve. And Jesus' message to you is keep going, keep doing this. You're the image of the invisible God. You're the enfleshment of all that is good and wonderful in the world. Keep going. Or maybe it's while you're selling windows. May we be a church who in Jesus have a new vision for what it means to be fully human, fully loved by God, fully loving others and doing the good that Jesus planned for us to do.
I would love to wrap up our time with a benediction. And the word benediction, um, uh, its root comes from um, like blessing, blessing, concluding good thoughts, good words for the people. And so I've written out a benediction that is kind of out of my journaling and I'd love to read it for you once. And then whether you're watching online or, or here in person, I'm gonna invite us to stand and we're gonna recite this together. Now you can add your name there. I'm gonna say Jimmy, cause that's my name uh, the second time through, but this will be our closing prayer and our, our, our words together to end with. My name is Jimmy and I am a human being created in the image of God. I am holy and dearly loved. I am not just the sum of my paid work. I am created in Jesus to do his good work in the world. This is my motivation. I am part of a community called the church, the gathered ones that reflects Jesus, his peace, his light and his love for everyone. And I will see myself and everyone else as image bearers of the divine, because this is how God sees me. Next slide. I will love God with my whole self. I will serve others with my whole self. I will love others with my whole self. I will follow Jesus because he shows me what it means to be fully human. Amazing. Hallelujah. May it be so. And amen. Can we stand together and say this? So you'll add your name at the beginning. Say it with a loud and energetic voice like you really believe it. Let's go. My name is Jimmy and I am a human being created in the image of God. I am holy and dearly loved. I am not the sum of my paid work. I am created in Jesus to do his good work in the world. This is my motivation. I am part of a community called the church gathered ones that reflects Jesus, his peace, his light, and his love for everyone. I will see myself and everyone else as image bearers of the divine, because this is how God sees me. I will love God with my whole self. I will serve others with my whole self. I will love others with my whole self. I will follow Jesus because he shows me what it means to be fully human. And in a loud voice, amazing, hallelujah, may it be so. And together we all said, amen, amen, and amen.